But they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and hurtful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all evil, which, while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith, and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. And in verse 9 there where it says, But they that will be rich, that means those that, will, that desire to be rich. They make it their main goal is to be rich. Not that if you are rich, but if you try to be rich, if, you're, if that's what you're pursuing. And riches can be a hindrance in the Christian life, but they can also be a blessing. Um, I think it was very uh, fortuitous. It was uh, God working that somebody gave that money, and the pastor talked about it right here before my lesson because that's kind of what one of the things we're talking about is the ability to use those riches that have been given us by God to further his work. Um, Solomon was a very rich man. and In fact, he was probably the richest man, one of the richest men that ever lived, if not the richest man that ever lived. And he gained his wealth by keeping his priorities right. He sought after wisdom and God blessed him with riches, uh, with possessions. And we can see that in 2 Chronicles uh, chapter 1. Verse 7 says, In that night did God appear unto Solomon and said unto him, Ask what shall I give thee? And Solomon said unto God, Thou hast showed great mercy unto David my father, and hast made me to reign in his stead. Now, O Lord God, let thy promise unto David my father be established. For thou hast made me king over a people like the dust of the earth in multitude. Give me now wisdom and knowledge, that I may go out and come in before this people. For who can judge this thy people that is so great? And God said to Solomon, Because this was in thine heart, and thou hast not asked riches, wealth, or honor, nor the life of thine enemies, neither yet have asked for long life, but have asked wisdom and knowledge for thyself, that thou mayest judge my people, over whom I have made thee king. Wisdom and knowledge is granted unto thee, and I will give thee riches, and wealth, and honor, such as none of the kings that have had before, been before thee, neither shall there be any after thee have the like. So Solomon asked God for wisdom, and God answered him by giving him both wisdom and riches. Uh, when Solomon's priorities and desires were in the right place, God blessed him with monetary wealth. When we have our priorities in place as well, we can experience great joy and contentment in the Christian life. That doesn't mean that we are going to be rich if we have our priorities in the right place, but it, God can bless us with our priorities in the right place. And just because we have wealth or have been blessed with wealth, it doesn't make that bad in and of itself. It, it can be a blessing from God. So when we, when it comes to finances, we must thank God for his blessings, but we also have to guard our hearts against the wrong spirit that can lead to an unhealthy pursuit of money. That brings us to point A, the rich man was self-righteous. So I can imagine... Um, this young ruler coming coming to Jesus and thinking, you know, to get eternal life, I have to keep this commandment. But I have kept those commandments. Um, and I can imagine the pride in being able to say that, you know, I've done this, so I'm good, right? Uh, in his own eyes, he was a thoroughly righteous man. On another occasion, Jesus told a story about uh, the, the parable of the Pharisee and the publican. And there can't be a much greater contrast between the two attitudes of those two people. And the point of this parable was that men's destiny is that the, the contrast between those two points. The first man was the personification of self-righteousness. And Jesus made it quite clear how he really stood in God's eyes. And we, we see this in Luke 
chapter 18, verses 9 through 14. And he spake this parable unto certain which trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Two men went up into the temple to pray, the one a Pharisee and the other a publican. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even this publican. I fast twice in the week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the publican, standing afar off, would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone that exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. And we kind of talked about this just a little bit last week when we were talking about public prayer, right? Um, and being standing up and, and trying to exalt ourselves uh, rather than, than the Lord. And many of our own problems are rooted in a similar self-righteous attitude. We probably wouldn't stand up. I can't think of anybody here that would stand up in church and publicly proclaim their own goodness and how great they are. But just the same, sometimes I think we compare ourselves to others and feel pretty good about ourselves. And let's be honest. You know, if we compare ourselves with some of the people in, that, in the world, we're doing pretty good, right? You know, we're, we live pretty well. We, we, we don't do a lot of the evil things that some of those around us do. And when we take the time to compare ourselves with them, it looks pretty good. Yeah, hey, we're not too bad. But the point is that we're not supposed to compare ourselves with the world. We're not supposed to even compare ourselves with those around us. We're supposed to compare ourselves with Jesus. And when we do that, always find somebody that looks worse than us. You know, no matter how bad we are, there's always somebody that's worse than us. But when we compare ourselves to him, it makes all the difference. Second Corinthians 10, 12 says, For we cannot make ourselves of the number or compare ourselves with some that commend themselves. But they measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves are not wise. Paul, who wrote the words about to the church of Corinth, said this about himself in Philippians chapter 3. Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, I am more. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. And in a fleshly sense, he had several really good reasons to be self-righteous. But here's what Paul, one of the greatest Christians that ever lived, went on to say. Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 through 10. But what things were gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but lost for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them with none, that I may win Christ. And be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. That I may know him in the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being made conformable unto his death. Paul's ultimate self-evaluation is this in 1 Timothy chapter 1. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. And this is the problem, I think, that, you know, we find when we come up with lists, right? Lists of things that we can do, we can't do, lists 
opinions of others can be can create. But it's very easy when we have that list to just check those off and go, oh, I got this here and this here and this here. You're not just here. Yeah. Oh, don't do that one. You know, it's very easy to be hypocritical to be to be judgmental about others when we have those kind of lists. Um, and that's why we should only be comparing ourselves to people. One of Satan's biggest lies involves convincing people that they're just fine. And with that kind of list, it's easy to do that. I'm doing all of these things. I'm good. In fact, you know, we're doing pretty great. Let's look at all these things I do. The moment that we feel self-righteous, we're creeping into our lives. We have to ask God for a mind that says, in our flesh dwells no good thing. Romans chapter 7 and 18. The church of Laodicea felt comfortable and confident in their riches and goods. But Jesus said they didn't know that they were actually poor and blind. Let's take a look at Revelation chapter 3, verses 14 through 18. Verse 14, and unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know thy works. Thou art neither hot, thou art neither cold nor hot. I would that thou wert cold or hot. So then, because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art and miserable and poor and blind and naked. I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire that thou mayest be rich and white raiment that thou mayest be clothed and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear and anoint thine eyes with eye salve that thou mayest see. We have to guard ourselves against self-righteousness realizing that a self-righteous attitude is the opposite of a humble like heart. D.L. Moody said you can always tell when a man is a great way from God he is always talking about himself, how good he is. But the moment he sees God by the eye of faith, he is down on his knees. And like Job, he cries, Behold, I abide. Psalm 51, 17 says, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. O God, thou wilt not despise. Point B, the rich man was selfish. The response of Jesus to the statement of the rich man is really remarkable. Uh, Mark's account states that then Jesus, beholding him, loved him. The young man had just fell, finished telling Jesus how good he was, but Jesus reacted with love and not with anger or rejection. Additionally, Jesus responded by saying, one thing thou lackest, and told him that he needed to go beyond keeping the commandments and to being willing to sell his possessions and give them to the poor. He was attempting to demonstrate to this young man that his heart needed to be focused on heaven. Matthew 6.21 says, For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And the Apostle Paul stated in 1 Corinthians 10.44, Let no man seek his own, but every man another's own. We're not supposed to focus on ourselves, but rather on the needs of others. It has been said that if I only live for myself, I can only make a difference for one person. If I live for others, I can make a difference in the lives of millions. The poet and hymn writer Terry Ubrecht wrote, look all around you, find someone in need, help someone today. Selfish people find that there is no end to what they want and happiness is always just a little bit out of reach. Solomon understood that the eyes of man are never satisfied, Proverbs chapter 10, 11, verse 10. He found this out because he literally got everything he wanted in any new mansion. 
he found a workshop. Ecclesiastes 2, verses 4 through 11 says, I made me great works. I builded me houses. I planted me vineyards. I made me gardens and orchards. And I planted trees in them of all kinds of fruit. I made me pools of water to water them with, with wood that bringeth forth trees. I got me servants and maidens and had servants born in my house. Also, I had great possessions of grain and small cattle above all that were in Jerusalem before me. I gathered me also silver and gold and the peculiar treasures of kings and of the provinces. I got me men singers and women singers and the delights of the sons of men as musical instruments and that of all sorts. So I was great and increased more than all that were before me in Jerusalem. Also, my wisdom remained with me. And whatsoever mine eyes desired, I kept not from me. I withheld not from my heart from any joy, for my heart rejoiced in all my labor. And this was my portion of all my labor. Then I looked on all the work that my hands had wrought, and on the labor that I had labored to do. And behold, all was vanity and vexation of spirit, and there was no profit under the sun. No matter how much that we get in life, you can always have more. And, and the flesh always wants more, just a little more. Um, at the Munich Conference in 1938, European leaders, headed by British Prime Minister Neville Chamberlain, avoided war by signing over a section of Czechoslovakia to Adolf Hitler, a uh, city incorporated into the German Empire. And Czechoslovakia had not been represented at this conference. Germany had already occupied, occupied the Rhineland from which the German troops were banned as a result of a treaty ending World War I, and then annexed the neighboring country of Austria. But now, Hitler declared, this is the last territorial claim which I have to make to Europe. Subsequent events, of course, exposed this as a falsehood, and Hitler's armed forces invaded Poland and brought on World War II shortly thereafter. One of the richest men in the world of his day, John D. Rockefeller, was asked, once asked, how much money is enough now? His reply, just a little bit more. One of the most well-known verses in all of scripture is John 3, 16, which illustrates the heart of God is in this. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Do you want to be a godly person, a growing disciple of Christ? Then you have to be a giving person. Let us see, the rich man was sorrowful. When challenged to give up his riches for the sake of true righteousness, the young man made his decision. But, you know, it wasn't without some emotional turmoil. Matthew says he was sorrowful. Mark describes him as sad and grieved. Luke amplifies the description to very sorrowful, along with self-righteous, selfish, sorrowful. One who could also call him short-sighted. He literally gave up an eternity in heaven with the Lord for his greatest possessions in his life. Later in his life, Solomon also found himself a sorrowful man, as we discussed earlier. And he, he indulged in his every desire and found it many of vanities, vanity of vanities, all in vanity. Ecclesiastes 1 2. The Apostle Paul warns us that in the last days we need to be on guard against the sin covetousness. He states in 2 Timothy 3 2, for men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetousness. We live in a world today where selfishness and sorrow is the norm. Those who are good and generous and joyous are pointed out as unusual. Those who dedicate themselves to pursuing the ambitions and, ambitions and riches of this life are going to find little but sorrow. But those who pursue the presence of God will find true happiness, as did the psalmist David. 
Psalm 16, 11 says, Thou wilt show me the path of life, and thy presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand are pleasures forevermore. And think about that. As we get further into the last days and we see more and more selfishness and more and more sorrow brought on by that, those of us who are giving uh, and follow Christ, we see that he asks us to give with time brighter and brighter. We'll stand out more and more to those around us and bring more light upon Christ. Point number two, the hope of reward. In the book Eternity in Their Hearts by John Richardson, the author states that ever since civilization has ever been able to study is concerned about putting away treasures for the future. The Egyptians, such as Pyramids of Gaza, where they have, they put in tons of gold and silver and you know, all kinds of uh, afterworld possessions that they thought they could take with them. Instinctively, though, they may live as if it were otherwise. People understand that there's a future to consider, and as with every other matter, God gives us clear guidance about this. Matthew 6, 19-21 says, Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through or steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. If our finances are all about this world, our heart will be in the world. But if our finances are invested in the things of God, we'll undoubtedly be more heavenly minded. And this is part of the lesson where I've written empty special notes here about um, giving a special <coughs> gift, giving to a church uh, project, uh, which, you know, once again, the gift that was mentioned this morning uh, makes a very good point that even I can make. Uh, but do you think that the person that gave that money uh, was able to pass that along for God's work? Do you think they might have a special place in their heart for that courtyard? You know, now that they've donated that money and left the others that have given towards it? I do. If you've given to a special gift to a missionary uh, to help them further their work, you're more invested in that work. You have a special place in your heart for that missionary for the good that it's doing around you. Uh, your treasure's invested there. So letter A, what will we give? Peter states in the three gospel accounts, the disciples have left all to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord makes it clear that he understood what the disciples had walked away from. He knew that they had left their homes, their families, their land, their livelihoods. And sometimes I think we might be tempted to look around us and become discouraged at what we have missed out on uh, because of we've chosen to follow the Lord. You know, there's plenty of cases of people that were making great money, you know, really being successful in the eyes of the world, uh, and left it all to become a pastor, become a full-time Christian worker. Um, and, you know, some people from the world might look on that and go, well, what all did you give up to do that? But we never forget, we must never forget that an omniscient God is very aware of everything that we've ever done uh, for the Lord Jesus First Corinthians 15, 58 says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. In Hebrews 6, 10, For God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love, which ye have showed toward his name, in that ye have ministered to the saints and do minister. The psalmist Asaph, who struggled to see the goodness of, of God, got his perspective back when he went into the house of God. Let's turn to um, Psalms chapter 73.
says, truly, God is good to Israel, even to such as are of a clean heart. But as for me, my feet were almost gone. My steps had well nigh slipped. For I was envious at the Lord when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For there are no bands in their bed, but their strength is firm. They are not in trouble as other men, neither are they plagued like other men. Therefore, pride compasseth them about as a chain. Violence covers them as a garment. Their eyes stand out with fatness. They have more than the heart could wish. They are corrupt. They speak wickedly concerning oppression. They speak lawfully. They set their mouth against the heavens, and their tongue walketh through the earth. Therefore his people return hither, and waters of a full cup are rubbed out of them. And they say, How doth God know, and is there knowledge in the Most High? Behold, these are the ungodly who prosper in the world. They increase in riches. Verily, I have cleansed my heart in vain, and washed my hands in innocence. For all the day long have I been plagued and chastened every morning. If I say I will speak thus, behold, I should offend against the generation of my children. When I sought to know this, it was too painful to me, until I went into the sanctuary of God. Then understood I therein. Surely thou didst set them in slippery places. Thou castest them down into destruction. How are they brought into desolation as in a moment? They are utterly consumed with terror. As a dream when one awaketh, so, O Lord, when thou awakest, thou shalt despise their image. There are many things that if we can choose to give, it doesn't just have to be money. We have many opportunities to give of our time, our talents, and our treasures. The words to the hymn, I Surrender All, by Justin Van Deventer say, All to Jesus I surrender, all to him I freely give. It's much easier to sing than to actually give. But we have to understand that God gave and he asked us to, to give. In the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus sent his disciples to preach and to heal, but also to give. Matthew 10, verses 7 through 8 say, And as you go, preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out devils. Freely ye have received, freely give. There's a story that uh, I've found that talks about a small boy whose parents were trying to teach him to tithe uh, and to give in church. And as the offering began, the boy's mother gave him a dollar and uh, asked him to put it in the plate. The little boy refused and continued to refuse. And finally, the mother gently took the dollar from him and put him in the plate. The stillness of the moment was punctured by the little boy going, I want my dollar back! The, the, her, his mother was mortified. She couldn't, could not get him to be quiet. He kept crying, I want my dollar back! And the rest of the church tried not to laugh as they heard this little boy crying for his dollar. I want my dollar back, I want my dollar back. After the offering, the pastor stepped up to the pulpit and addressed the people. He said, you know, we shouldn't laugh. Maybe he's voicing some of our own fears. Maybe uh, we give, but we do it grudgingly, out of a, a sense of obligation. We may not say it, but I think some of us think it. I want my dollar back. Letter B, what will we gain? After the Lord talked about what the disciples had sacrificed to follow him, <clears throat> he makes it clear that they were sacrificing something extremely minimal and modest by comparison. And then what they were going to gain or what they gave would be replaced by something that was beyond their wildest imagination. 
In Matthew 19, 28, Christ told them that those who follow him will literally sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. This is a pretty incredible illustration of those that would be last to come first in Matthew 26, 21. To go from being homeless followers of the rejected Messiah to being rulers over the tribe of Israel perfectly illustrates what it means to sacrifice now and to be blessed in the future. 1 Corinthians 2, verse 9 says, But as it is written, I have not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for them that love him. Isaiah 64, 4 says, For since the beginning of the world men have not heard nor perceived by the ear, neither hath the eye seen, O God, beside thee, what he hath prepared for him that waiteth him. And Psalm 31, 19 says, Oh, how great is thy goodness! which thou hast laid up for them that fear thee, which thou hast wrought for them that trust in thee before the sons of men. And, you know, as we look at our own lives, we have to admit that God, has been, that God has been pretty good and generous to us. It's been far above what any of us deserve. After all, if we all got what we deserve, then we know where we would be. Um, we have to, you know, we're encouraged to give because God gave first and because it's the way for us to receive. Luke 6.38 says, Give, and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, and shaken together, and running over, shall men give unto your bosom. For with the same measure that you meet, with all it shall be measured to you again. And as we give, I know we find, most of us have found through our lives, that we cannot outgive God. It, it makes me think of, um, you know, remember these, these verses that we just read. Remember, I'm, I'm sure most of us of our age have
I have come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. Matthew 6, 22-34 says, The light of the body is the eye. Therefore, if therefore thine eye be single, thy whole body shall be full of light. But if thine eye be evil, the whole body shall be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in thee be darkness, how great is that darkness? No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life, what you shall eat, or what you shall drink, nor yet for your body, what you shall put on. Is not the life more than meat, and the body more than raiment? Behold, the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather in the barns, yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are you not much better than they? Which of you, by taking thought, can add one cubit unto his stature? And why take ye thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothe the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Therefore take no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. Your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Take therefore no thought for the morrow, for the morrow shall take thought for things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. Um, recently, um, Jen found a J.C. Penney uh, story that she really liked, and and I was like, I don't even know where you find a J.C. Penney around here uh, anymore. But back in the day, um, J.C. Penney was a pretty big deal, and the the founder of that chain. Um, did, does anybody know what the C stands for? James. Cash, that's right, James Cash Penny. Um, he was the son of a Baptist pastor in Missouri. And after graduating from high school, he got a job as a store clerk, and he did so well that within two years, he was being paid 12 times his original salary. For health reasons, he moved to Colorado and eventually became a partner in a chain of dry goods stores called the Golden Rule Stores. The goal was to make a profit, of course, but only if it could be done, <clears throat> if it could be done with fair values and honest dealing. The business incorporated in 1913 as J.C. Penney & Company Incorporated with these seven basic principles. One, to serve the public as nearly as we can to its complete satisfaction. And as we listen to you think about it, I wish all businesses would operate this way today. Two, to expect for the service we render a fair remuneration and not all the profit that traffic will bring. Three, to do all in our power to pack the customer's dollar full of value, quality, and satisfaction. Four, to continue to train ourselves and our associates so that the service we give will be more and more intelligently performed. Five, to improve constantly the human factor in our business. Six, to reward men and women in our organization through participation in the business tradition. And seven, to test our policy, our every policy method and act in its lights. Does it square with what is right and just? Now, Penny didn't actually become a Christian until after losing most of his wealth in the Great Depression and just barely saving his company. He overheard a hymn one day, and it took him back to his childhood. God will take care of you. And he gave his life to Christ. He had tried to honor God in his own way through his business, but now rested in the finished work of Christ. 
After a long lifetime of supporting charity, generously, and promoting Christian principles in his business, he died in New York City on February 12, 1971, at the age of 95. At that time, there were 1,660 tombstones in Washington. Uh, <clears throat> a quote from J.C. Penney says, the assumption was that business is secular and service is religion. I have never been able to accept that line of arbitrary demarcation. Is not service part and parcel of business? It seems to me so. Business is therefore as much religious as it is secular. If we follow the admonition to love God and our neighbors as ourselves, it will lead us to understand that, first of all, success is a matter of decision. And it was obvious through his life that God blessed him for uh, having that attitude and treating people well. Letter B, reward in future life. While assuring Peter and the rest of the disciples that they would not be losers in this life for leaving all, <clears throat> leaving all and following him, the Lord also taught them that when one chooses him, he receives the most important gift of all, that is eternal life. Luke 19 10 says, For the Son of Man has come to seek and save that which was lost. 2 Peter 3 9, the Lord is not slack concerning his promises, some men count slackness, but is long suffering to us, word, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And in John 7, 37-39, In the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. But this spake he of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive, for the Holy Ghost was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. One temptation I think that all people have in common is this tendency to walk by sight rather than faith. Christ knew it would be difficult for people to relinquish their hold on the things of this world and their precious trust in the one he loved. He stated that it's hard to trust in riches when you're entering into the kingdom of God. In fact, he compared the difficulty of, an eye, of a camel passing through the eye of a needle. And that was actually a pretty common saying, a Jewish expression uh, back in those days for something that was impossible. Sadly, money has kept a lot of people away from God and out of heaven. And that's why the principle is so clearly taught that we cannot serve both God and money. Matthew 6, 24, it says, No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. But for those of us who make the right choice, knowing God, loving God, walking with him every day, serving him, the eternal rewards are going to be more than that. Matthew 25, 34 says, Then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, Come, ye blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. In Romans 8, 16 through 18, the Spirit itself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If so be that we suffer with him, that we may also be also glorified together. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed to us. Christ taught us that we each have a choice as to what we're going to live for. We can choose to live to accumulate money in the treasures of this world, or we can choose to invest our lives in eternal matters. The rewards of living according to earthly values, much like the scribes and the Pharisees and the hypocrites, 
of whom Jesus said they have their reward, is that the reward is when the light dies. The rewards of living for eternity, making the choice to make whatever earthly sacrifice God calls us to make for the sake of his kingdom, are bestowed by both the Lord in this life and in the next life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I hope that you, I pray that you would help us to take this lesson to heart, that you would help us to bring our hearts into the right place where we are giving and doing and saying what you would have us to do to bless your work, to do further your work here on earth, and that we would put our trust in you and not in our own ability. I ask these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.